Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 88 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 88, we are going to, this is going to be basically our disagreements uh, uh, podcast episode. We love disagreements normally, and we actually have a a handful of, actually two really intelligently, uh, well-articulated disagreements with stuff that we have covered in some recent podcasts. And so whenever we get disagreements, we like to uh, highlight them and showcase them. And we want to say thank you to the folks who submitted the disagreements. Uh, we'll, of course, disagree with your disagreements, and we'll go into great detail uh, about why uh, we probably still disagree with your disagreements. But nevertheless, we very much respect the uh, the disagreements coming in, and we thank you for them. We very much want to hear from anybody who disagrees with us on any particular topic, in particular, uh, the disagreements we, we like, because I think they we find them, well, actually, I in general, I find them very interesting uh, to be able to explore. But before we get into those disagreements, I want to talk about some announcements from the perspective of PNW. This actually is beyond PNW in some part. It also involves uh, Westcan and CMD as well, uh, because one of the first announcements is with regard to Great West or the Great West Invitational or G- G- GWI. Uh, unfortunately it's going to have to be virtual again this year. So, uh, I've been in contact with, uh, Dar- uh Darcy and Glenn, the, uh, respective, uh, d- let's see, district coordinators from the, uh, two Canadian districts. And, uh, we basically collaborated and tried to figure out a way that we could do it in person. And it's just not going to be viable. The U S Canadian border, at least right now is effectively closed for quizzing. It still requires a 14 day quarantine. Uh, the West can program who is normally the host, uh, in recent years, uh, they have kind of been hit pretty hard from the COVID lockdowns. And so right now they're not really in a place where they can effectively host. It's, it's not really viable for them to be able to do that. Um, Glenn is doing an amazing job trying to get, uh, quizzers and coaches and officials, uh, excited and involved for great West. Um, but he's, he's, having trouble finding uh, adults actually he's he's doing a very successful job of finding quizzers who, who want to get engaged uh less so from the adult uh, uh and and officiating uh perspective uh when it comes to virtual so uh that's a, a struggle unfortunately uh cmd is having their own struggles obviously pnw is ha- we're having our own struggles but really the big issue uh, that's limiting us from an in-person Great West is just the U.S.-Canadian border situation in terms of being able to cross into Canada uh, and not have to suffer through a 14-day uh, quarantine. There's also provincial uh, protocols in terms of, of how we would have to conduct the meet. Um, but I, I think from my perspective, those are less of a problem than the 14-day you know, uh, self-imposed quarantine. Uh, that That's just basically a non-starter we can't as much as canada is very cool we um we can't spend half a month in canada for for great west um although that would be a lot of fun uh or well that's an interesting point it it would certainly be a lot of fun when we weren't dealing with covid lockdowns with covid lockdowns maybe it's not as much fun um but anyway uh so 
With regard to Great Wests this year, we will unfortunately have to be virtual. However, uh, that does mean that we can do some very cool and interesting things similar to last year. So the PNW coaches at the last district meet, district meet number four, uh, we had a leadership meeting in the coaches and uh, we discussed you know, what was going to happen with Great West. And the coaches agreed or decided to uh, allow any quizzer to participate who wants to. We will be scrambling teams similar to what normally happens with Great West, uh, but, but we are going to take into consideration technical or logistical concerns. So in terms of like, you know, if, if uh, you're on a shared Wi-Fi or you've got a shared computer with uh, somebody else who's on a team of yours in your local area, and it would be a problematic for you to be able to be scrambled into a different team, uh, we're going to take that into consideration and not scramble you away from that, you know, means of being able to quiz effectively. So chat with your coaches. If you haven't already, your coaches will certainly be chatting with you. Hopefully they already have, but if not raise the, the question at your next practice in terms of, you know, do you want to participate in great West and to what degree are you able to be scrambled with other teams and so forth? So all of the details of that are going to be sort of TB, uh, TBD right now and are going to be worked out over the next you know couple of weeks or so. Uh, stay tuned for m more announcements there, but definitely chat with your coaches. If your coaches have not already sent me their information in terms of um, not registration info yet, but sort of like pre-registration yeah i think there's probably going to be about this number of quizzers who want to participate probably about you know this sort of level of scrambling that we want to have uh please encourage your coaches to reach out to me so that we can have that uh information that's there so we'll end up having a an extraordinarily fun meet i'm sure uh it'll be you know friday and saturday whatever's on the calendar on the website pnwquizzing.org um Okay, so speaking of the district meet number four Saturday leadership meeting, during that meeting, uh, the coaches, uh, were, we were talking about several different things, and we were also talking about the remainder of this quizzing season, and the coaches decided to keep the season virtual for, rem for the remainder of the season. This does include uh, district championships. So I know there's a lot of uh, different points of view on this, and I think it's important to, you know, while we might disagree with different points of view, it's, I think, important to be respectful of those who have different points of view than our own. Uh, there were some folks who were, you know, looking at this from the opinion of saying, if there's any risk at all, we can't be involved. There's folks who are saying if there's any kind of, of, of antivirus mitigation in terms of masking or social distancing at the meet, we don't want to be involved. And then, of course, a whole bunch of opinions between those two uh, ends of the spectrum and maybe even beyond those two ends of the spectrum, honestly. Uh, I'm probably not thinking of everything. So a lot of different varieties of opinions and so forth uh, with regard to this. But a majority of the coaches felt that uh, we needed to be uh, staying um, virtual for the remainder of the season. I had been and actually am still uh, passively working with the Washington State Department of Health to establish an in-person protocol for quizzing. Um, that probably is no longer necessary, but I'm still working with them to at least put the protocol together. But even with that protocol, a majority of, of coaches felt it would, you know, the protocol would be insufficient from their perspective. So, um, I know there are a lot of teams that are eager to return to in-person quizzing. I certainly am very, very eager to return to in-person quizzing, but we need to, uh, 
you know, just kind of uh, grin and bear it for just a little while longer. We just need to, you know, continue to persevere together virtually for now. And uh, hopefully we will be able to switch back to in-person uh, in the fall. I'm very, I'm highly confident um, that we will be able to switch to in-person or, or go resume in-person in the fall. Given the numbers and the data that I'm seeing, uh, every few days that goes by and I, I look back on the numbers, I'm just getting increasingly optimistic about where things are heading. So, you know, the sun is rising, things are getting better, but we're not out of the woods yet, uh, so to speak. Okay, so without all being said, uh, internationals is still planned to be in person at least right now. So it's going to be at crown or, well, it's planned to be at crowned at, sorry, not crowned at crown university or college. Sorry. It's not a university, uh, crown college in St. Bonif, Bonif, how do you say that Scott? Bonifacious. Bonifacious, Minnesota, um, or Minnesota, if you prefer that pronunciation, uh, the current thinking is that in PNW we will take one team of five. Uh, we will, we that's still you know up for some debate, but um, I'll, well, it's actually not really even a debate. Um, so I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, Christine Delamarter is going to return as head coach, and the head coach of the internationals team is the sole person who decides whether we're going to take one per, uh, one team of five or two teams of of five each or ten quizzers in total. Um, Christine right now is leaning toward one team of five, um, but of course that might might change, you know, going forward, probably unlikely to change. So, you know, in terms of where you are, in terms of your individual averages, you probably want to be looking at the top five, trying to get into the top five if you're not there already uh, to be able to qualify for Minnesota. I am contemplating flying myself to Minnesota um, in, you know, uh, our twin engine airplane. Um, uh, my wife and my daughter might come with me, which might be a lot of fun, um, but a lot of it just kind of depends on some logistics and the weather, the expected weather and so forth. I mean, when it comes to early July, the weather is usually pretty good. So um, that should be a lot of fun. I will take pictures. Um, unfortunately, I can't take the quizzing team um, because I have a total of six seats in the airplane and um, there'd be, you know, five quizzers plus Christine plus myself. Um, unless we want to duct tape a few quizzers to the wings, I, I don't think that's going to work. So um, anyway, international still planned to be in person, but uh, stay tuned for, you know, additional news and announcements as information becomes available. The other thing I wanted to very quickly update everybody on is the rulebook project, uh, the ratification of the new rulebook. We have so far five districts that have voted on the ratification. We have a 100% yes vote on the ratification. I think technically the deadline for voting is kind of now-ish, or maybe it's in like a week or something. It's pretty soon. Um, I don't think we're officially past the deadline, but I think it's actually pretty soon. Um, it was three weeks after the announcement, which was like, so yeah, maybe it was the middle of second week of January. So maybe we've got another week or two. Uh, so anyway, we're getting really close to the, the deadline. So if your district hasn't yet voted, please poke your district leadership uh, and ensure that your district has a voice in the, the ratification of the rulebook and that whole process. All right. So, uh, Scott, what do you got in terms of disagreements? So did we talk about we, we talked about just everything general 
key versus and key versus list, right? But not necessarily specifically about PNW's policy. Um, we talked in general about it. Did we talk about PNW's specific policy? I don't. I think we did, but it was in a podcast from quite a while ago. Right. So what PNW has typically done is published a keyverse list, and that is the exact list that is eligible for those question types within our district. So it has not only the verses that will be used, but also all of the types and all of the potential, like including the pairing. So if John 1 verses 3 and 4 are going to be eligible for a finish these two, quote these two, it is stated in um, at the beginning of our year that those verses will be a pair, and then the quizzers know that they will not be asked as a non-pair. Um, and it also says like this verse is a finish this, uh, every, and then it you know it has caveats like everything eligible as a finish the verse is also eligible as a single verse quote. Everything eligible as a finish this is eligible as a single verse quote. Things like that. Well, recently um, we decided to make it a little bit more difficult on quizzers and we just publish the list of verses now so it does not have any types and it does not have any pairings so there is a list with types and pairings i think behind the scenes but it is not given to any competitor um and so we had feedback after our key versus list convince me episode with zach and jeremy um and so we had this comment I have opinions on the latest key versus list debate. This is something I feel strongly about. Am I biased in my own favor? Highly. Do my arguments have airtight logic? No, but here goes anyway. I abhor the new policy on either hiding the key versus list from the quizzers entirely or only giving them chunks of verses without differentiating between quotes and paired verses. I have always been a quote these two verses quizzer. I memorize all the paired verses and jump very competitively on them. But when this new list came out, I didn't know what to do because suddenly I didn't know where the paired verses were. I know the point is to engage with the material to figure out which verses would be paired, but that doesn't really work. There have been many times where I, th- I think that two verses are separate when they're actually paired or vice versa. It's so subjective it doesn't really mean anything. The massive level of uncertainty has really hurt my quizzing because I'm not as secure in the verses that I'm supposed to specialize in. Do I know all of them and, and thus can jump on chapter well i think i know all of them but i could be wrong this makes me hesitate and not do as well you argued that it would make quizzers memorize more verses if they didn't have a list i know in my case at least that is not true if i run out of paired verses to memorize i memorize all key verses it just depends on the time that i have list or no list i study the same amount of time every day this might be just me also i'm a pretty mid-tier quizzer who has never had aspirations for internationals which would obviously change things a lot i quiz because it's a it's fun and it's a lot more fun when there aren't a ton of random roadblocks in the way. You might ask, why not just specialize in something else? There's not a very good reason other than the fact that it's my last year and I've been honing the specialty for the past seven. Once again, this is just my perspective and experience, which might be kind of unique, but I know that it provides a lot of helpful strategic ability when I and other keyverse quizzers have a fully functional keyverse list. So I think that this is a really good uh, message to help us reconsider the principles behind changes, right? So would you agree, Griffin, that the re- like a main reason, either a main reason or the only reason that PNW publishes a keyverse list is so that it provides cl- very clear expectations and incentives to quizzers who probably are not going to memorize the whole material. And so it provides the clear expectation and incentive, but it also guides them towards hopefully the more spiritually significant verses. Well... I think in practice it does that. I'm not really sure the original motivation for 
the creation of a keyverse list in PNW because I mean it predates even me. Um, I think it even predates Cuddy. I mean, I think it's it, it's it's a a thing that we've done in PNW for ages and ages. I mean, many many decades. Um, it's something that I know a lot of other districts don't do, or they don't do it quite as rigorously as PNW did. But it's difficult for me to say why we did it. I think there's definitely certain things that come out of it, right? Like if you know 90, if you're able to memorize 90% of the key verse list, there's a huge incentive to memorize t the, the remaining 10% because you can get ludicrously fast. Um, if you are absolutely confident that this is the full set of questions of this particular type. And if you know 100% of that versus 90%, your, your, your speed can just go to crazy levels, you know, and, and you can be extremely competitive uh, on that material. Um, but the problem then is there is a huge, um, and I, I would argue even huger, uh, disincentive to memorize anything above the keyverse list. So if you're at 100% memorization of the keyverse list, there is like a huge amount of actually negative incentive to memorize 101%, right? To, to add verses to your, your list. You would be far better, assuming a, a published keyverse list, I think you'd be far better off just reviewing what you've already memorized rather than memorizing more. So the existence of a keyverse list might will will encourage people to memorize more when they are close to but below the memorization of the entire list. But then once they hit that list, there is a a a strong incentive to stop memorizing. And so the question then becomes, well, what's the net effect, right? I, I don't know. I think I've probably driven far away from your original question. But I, I think you are hitting on like what is the net effect, right? Because, in some senses, a keyverse, a published keyverse list will will it provides a more easy target for people and might get them to memorize more than they would have. But it also, for a certain class of quizzers, sounds classist, and that's not the desire. But like, for as you said, for quizzers who are memorizing roughly the whole list, the existence of a list really makes it so there's not a whole lot of gain to memorizing a little bit more than the list. Um, and trying to tease out those net effects are what's difficult because I think. I would imagine that, it, well, I guess I, I shouldn't opine on the reason that finishing quote questions exist at all. But um, it just seems like they're there to highlight the most important verses, whatever that means. Um, and, yeah, it, it's, it's tough because there are so many competing interests. Because I think the ideal is that new quizzers memorize just this subset and there's more questions on them. And so they can kind of do better in an easier way. But it doesn't really work out that way because when you publish a list, you kind of do artificially make the question type easier, which invites competition. And as a result, finishing quote questions are often very highly competitive within PNW, which really crowds out any new or inexpensive quizzer from being able to compete on them. Yeah, I, I generally agree with that. So, yeah, there are just a lot of... A lot of factors, and so I, I think a large driver of the change within PNW, so the list is both slightly bigger than it usually is for the, over the past few years, and we're not publishing the specific types, and that is because it is very routine for quizzers to specialize on key, key verses and the published key verse list within PNW and do well on them, and then do very, very poorly on them on um, during any non-PNW quiz meet. 
And so by making the list both a little bit bigger and a little bit more vague, it, um, I guess it, it increases, it, it decreases the incentive to just memorize the stated keyverse list, um, or at least it, well, I guess we just made the list bigger. So um, ideally the quizzers that would memorize a smaller list years ago would memorize a slightly bigger list now. Um, but I think as this message points out, it could be a disincentive to a quizzer that is already kind of at their motivational maximum, um, where any increase above it might actually drop them down a far ways, right? Yeah, that's true. But I mean, let's say you've got, say, 10 quizzers who all want to specialize in the keyverse list, right? Um, and you have sort of universe A where the keyverse list exists and universe v, B where the, you know, the keyverse list does not exist. It's, it's, and, and, and I shouldn't say not exist, publicly published, right? Because whether you have a list that's publicly published or you have no list at all, ultimately the questions that are written as quote and finish questions become the keyverse list, right? So in effect, you're, you're basically saying, well, there, there is a list, even though maybe nobody actually knows what it happens to be without actually digging through the entire question set and, you know, generating a list based on what's in the question set. But there is at least a, a, um, emergent phenomenon of, of, uh, of, of, of a keyverse list. So anyway, so let's say you've got these 10 quizzers who are preparing and you've got a world where there is a published keyverse list. So the, the 10 quizzers who are there are going to be motivated to memorize the verses that are on the keyverse list, but they're going to be significantly disincentivized or disincentivized, uh, disinclined to memorize even one verse beyond that, because one verse beyond the keyverse list doesn't provide anywhere near the value of just getting even stronger with review of the material that you have memorized of the KVL, right? Um, so, I mean, you have to essentially decide, I'm going to be a full context quizzer. I'm going to, I'm a full material quizzer. And that bumps you beyond the, the KVL specialization if you do anything at all, right? Um, so, let's say you're in universe A and you're studying that list, you're going to be better at questions that come up that are quote and finish absolutely on a general playing field, right? You know, all things being equal, but all things aren't being equal because those other nine people also have the exact same advantage and you're all competing against each other at a much faster level, right? Um, versus if none of you have the KVL list, in universe B, uh, I think you actually have more of an opportunity to differentiate yourself, right? Um, if you know, let's say 70% of the key verses in a practical sense, an emergent sense, and you know them reasonably well, you can actually, you actually have a better opportunity of actually getting questions than you would otherwise, right? So it'd be interesting. It's really hard to compare this, you know, apples to apples because we we had this policy change right around the same time that we switched to virtual, right? Um, so it, it's really hard to get like compare stats, but I would be willing to guess that uh, the switch from universe A to universe B actually didn't harm anybody's individual averages, but probably actually improved them. Now I, I could be radically speculating 
off the map on that one, but I have a feeling that that's probably true because they're, the competition has shifted as a result of it. Sure, and that's the weird thing about quizzing is that jump speed really brings almost everything else into an equilibrium. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but It's I think self-modulating in a way. It is to a, to a degree, right? I think there's still a, a decent limit um, of jump speed between which quizzers will jump. And so if you are radically changing questions to either be very easy or very difficult, I think you, you will move the needle somewhat because quizzers won't quite move um, the jump speed to perfectly match the change in difficulty. But for smaller changes, I think it just automatically happens. But I think one thing that would be a driver be behind the policy change in PNW, and it was a similar driver between the change at the um, internationals level to to change the multiple answers from two to seven to one to two, which is the number of verses required to memorize to score a certain amount um, was just a really small amount for a pretty big scoring um, amount for like multiple answers at the internationals level and for maybe paired verses or just key verses in general at the PNW level. And so there was a desire to bring um, it more closer to the other question types, right? So that the the incentive to memorize a small amount of verses was too large. And so the the incentive needed to be reduced. Right, right. I have an idea as a thought experiment. I think we've talked about this before, maybe in Slack or something. I don't know if we've talked about it on a podcast episode before, but here's a hypothetical. All verse lists are an emergent phenomenon of the question set, whether they happen to be officially publicly published or not, right? So they're ultimately, uh, you know, a KVL might be published, uh, but ultimately it comes down to, even if it's not published, it's an emergent phenomenon. It can be an emergent phenomenon of the, of the question set. So we tend to like to have very, very large question sets, you know, many thousands of questions, right? Where a single verse will have every reasonably not terrible question that can be written on it will be written on it, right? That's, that's ultimately the goal, right? Um, so given that universe, assuming a question set of a significant number of verses, basically every reasonable, reasonably good question that can be written on a verse is written on the verse. Uh, is there any harm in making the question set public, right? Um, because ultimate, and, and so essentially what we're doing is I'm, I'm not so much arguing or for this. It's really more a thought experiment, sort of taking Maddie's comment and taking it to the other, other end of the, of the spectrum, the other extreme, right? Imagine if we took our question set, a PNW official question set, and we made it public so that any, you know, any quizzer could go in and study the question set itself and try to find ways to exploit the question set, whatever that happens to mean, right? So you could generate for yourself a key, a, a key verse list. You could generate for yourself a multiple answer list, uh, not a multiple answer list of possible multiple answer questions, but a multiple answer list of actual multiple answer questions, right? So, I mean, that could be pretty interesting. Um, certainly the amount of effort required to do that is insane. I mean, it's, it's a huge amount of effort to base, to reverse engineer from the, from a question set into a list. I mean, you could certainly do that 
via the KVL very easily. You could do that programmatically, but to to do this effectively would be a tremendous amount of investment and it doesn't really buy you anything until you've memorized the material itself right so i don't know scott do you what do you think like just as a thought experiment do you think that would be a good idea bad idea and why so when you say a tremendous amount of work like what i i think if you gave me a question set in like microsoft excel it would be pretty trivial for me to make a very useful study list by question type yeah, true. I'm, I, I guess I'm, let me rephrase. I mean, certainly it's going to, it, it would be extraordinarily, I don't know if beneficial is the right word. It would, it would allow you, if you wanted to specialize on quotes and finishes, finish, finishes, it, if you wanted to fin, uh, uh, specialize on any particular type, it would allow you to focus on that type with, to a greater degree of certainty actually a hundred hundred percent certainty it would essentially it would allow you to filter studying of other verses right um so if we publish a question set and you were like well i'm not going to be able to memorize the whole material so instead what i'm going to do is i'm going to just memorize this particular chapter or this particular type or this particular subtype or whatever it happens to be right and you got really really good at it um ultimately having the question set allows you to save a net property of time because you're simply not memorizing verses that you you wouldn't otherwise need to memorize right but at the same time in terms of amount of time spent per verse to memorize you'd be spending more time does that make sense no okay i'm not saying this very well so imagine you take a given quizzer and they memorize a certain chunk of the material let's say you know a thousand verses right uh and then and this is in a non you know uh, list is is published non question set is published right but they so right. so generally they 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 just memorize for whatever time that they invest they've memorized a thousand verses right so let's say they invested uh, 10,000 minutes. I, I have no idea, but let's say they invested 10,000 minutes, which means they memorized one verse per 10 minutes, right? Now you've, now you published a set of, of, uh, of lists, either a set of lists or you've published the entire question set, right? Ultimately the quizzer still has to memorize a verse and let's say they're going to memorize a verse at the same rate. There probably wouldn't be a difference in, in rate. So every 10 minutes they memorize another verse, right? They would, they might still memorize a thousand, but they would probably end up memorizing less because if they're time boxed on their study, they're going to memorize 900 and take those rem remaining thousand, uh, uh, sorry, not thousand, 100 they're going to memorize 900 verses and take the time they would have spent memorizing the remaining 100 and actually feed that into the list uh study process does that make sense sure i i think about it differently because i think having certainty of the question set is a pretty big deal and i think it would i think it's already the case that knowing a smaller amount of verses really, really well is better for scoring. But I think um, that would be taken to the nth degree if the question set was known with 100% with certainty. Because I would know what portions of material are useless for me to spend any time on, right? Like if I know that no situation question tests me on replied or answered, 
any verse that's not a, a finish or a quote, I don't care if it's said, said to them, finish, um, replied or answered, right? Right. But that that's ultimately my point, right? My my point is in a hypothetical in a hypothetical world where we publish a the official question set, the number of verses memorized per uh, quizzer goes down for the number of minutes that they spend memorizing. I would probably agree with that. Yeah, which of would course be, that's that's which, contrary which to what Maddie's bad. saying. Well, I don't think I don't think she's drawing any conclusion for quizzing at large. Mm, okay just for herself she's providing her own experience yeah 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 but i agree like like what you were saying is i i think in general let's say it takes somebody from memorizing a thousand verses to 900 that's bad um and thus why we want to keep it secret right um yeah the thing is though i don't know if the effect is very large outside of perhaps non-reference multiple because Mm. um well i don't know it the the competition level matters a lot as well but i mean i worked really hard when i like when i studied for internationals i worked really hard to write a question set um and once constructed i basically treated it like it was the set because logically there was no point for me to to not do that right <laughs> right? right absolutely right if i've if i've written 1800 cvrs i'm just going to act like this is the official list figure out the optimal jump speeds for every single chapter make sure I can get it if I win a jump at that speed and then just jump at that speed. Um, and like, if there's small deviations in the actual question set, well, I don't know about that. So it's not material for me to, you know, like I'm just writing questions based off of what I expect to come at me. And even if I have 70% overlap, 98% overlap, it doesn't really matter for my prep and strategy. Um, and I think that's the case for most question types, right? It's definitely the case for interrogatives, CVRs, CRs. Now, once you get into stuff that's more specialty, so like a finish this, finish this in the next, maybe some of the paired finishing quotes, some of the situations that are not just who said it or who said it and how, and then definitely multiple answers. I think if you had complete certainty, then you just lock down your study to that, that known, right? But for CVRs, it doesn't do me a lot of good. Like even if I had a list and I knew that it was the certainty list, like it doesn't, doesn't do me a ton of good to memorize my CVR list because I don't know, it just didn't, that wasn't more efficient because of how many there were. Whereas with multiple answers, they're a lot sparser. And so you can skip whole verses and the reference doesn't matter. But for anything reference, it's like, eh, you might as well just memorize the material with the references. It makes everything else easier at that point. Whereas for something like multiple answers, or if you are specializing on finish these two, um, there's definitely no point to memorizing stuff that you're never going to be asked. Right. So I don't know. I think we've had this discussion about what, what do you lose competitively if by publishing the list? And it might be that you don't lose a ton, right? Cause when I said, Oh, I would absolutely be able to drag out a competitive advantage from a published list. And you were like, well, but you were probably dragging out a competitive advantage from what, what you knew of quizzing already. So do we really care that you got another 0.1% from a published list, you know? And it's like, well, maybe we don't, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's tough because you can't hold everything constant and then just change one variable and look at what the effect is. That would be wild and amazing, but yeah, indeed. There's just too much, there are too many, too many variables involved. 
which I think is what makes it fun, right? Because in a world where you don't have 100% certainty on the question set, I think the quizzers and teams that work really hard to get an expectation of what is the set that I'm going to be asked by making their own, um, I think there's a lot to be gained there. And the work is really beneficial um, for knowing the material. And I don't know. I think all of those things are positive and we are rewarding the right things, which is why I like not published lists where people have to struggle with what the rule book says about a valid question and what it implies about a good question, which is why I get so fired up when I see anyone like not doing what I consider to be like a valid thing and a good thing. Cause I'm like, we should all be trying to hit this. And if anyone's not doing it, it all falls apart. Yeah. I think for me, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of balance, not balancing for me. I am always reminding myself of what's the point, right? I think the point is get the most number of quizzers to memorize the most number of verses. So if that's the point, then I want to set up incentives and rewards for people that spend more time memorizing more scripture, right? So all other things being equal, and of course they're not because random things happen all the time, right? But I generally want to see the people who memorize more content better to score better than anybody else right? Like the, the, I think your score ultimately at the end of the day needs to reflect as close as we can, the amount of verses memorized, right? Which is not a proxy for time because for some people they memorize very quickly and easily for other people, uh, you know, it's more of a slog, right? Um, and so I, you know, it's certainly not about the amount of time, uh, although for each individual person, the more time you put in, the better you're going to be certainly, but, um, across, you know, multiple people, the, the time factor is not going to be consistent, but it's really more about how much of scripture have you prepared. And if you've prepared more, I want you to win more, you know, that's really the bottom line. Right. But, uh, that would, that would basically mean why not make everything a finish and a quote. And that's the only question types, but there's a balance of fun too, right? Which is why there are question types that don't require word perfect, that will have less material on average required to be correct than say a finisher, a quote, or some other type that may or may not require the, you to know references, right? So it's kind of, we balance the mission of memorizing the most verses with things to appeal to a broad subset of like minds and incentives and motivations, right? Well, so I'm going to push back on you on that one. I, I think the fact that we don't have just quote and finish types is because we want to incentivize the most number of people to memorize the most number of verses, right? I think if we, if we got rid of interrogatives, if we got rid of multiple answers, if we got rid of say situation questions, I think we'd have far less opportunities of success for people who are rookies or just don't have a lot of time to invest in memorizing, but would love to invest some time and to compete at some level, right? And I, I want to encourage everyone to compete at some level, right? Whatever it hap whatever that level happens to be, right? So, you know, like like to me, I think our our mission is hurt when we make everything a quote or a finish, which of course leads us right into our second disagreement topic, I think. I think so. And I I think you're right, but I so I think it's kind of a there's, I don't know the name of the logical fallacy, but some people will correctly point out 
that because all of these question types exist, some people memorize fewer verses less well than they otherwise would if only finish in quotes existed. But that being true does not mean that in an overall total sense, um, the most verses are memorized by having a range of types of difficulties. Yeah, total, exactly. Well said. So our second disagreement comes from Andrew, and it's a disagreement on requiring unique rules um, in quizzing. Because did we state did we state this in a in a recent thing that we think it should go away? Was that yeah, unique unique words? I think in was it the it wasn't the last podcast. It, it one of the last you know three or four we talked about the unique word rule. I think. I think so, but we might have also been discussing it on Slack. But Andrew thinks that yeah. it is a good rule, and talks about it thusly. It's one of my favorite rules, if such a thing could exist, in the rule book. It makes logical sense. It provides incentive to memorize content rather than just concept. It provides a clear way for Quizmaster to determine correct answers, and it makes sure that no important idea is left out of a correct answer due to a Quizmaster calling correct prematurely. It's a core part of the interrogative quizzer's toolkit to make sure they know the unique words in the verses they memorize. And it's an easy challenge when a quiz master gets it wrong, which allows for even inexperienced quizzers to get practice challenging. So I had some responses. So my first, do you want to weigh in after each of my, bu- my bulleted responses or how do you want to do this? I, I don't know. Go, go through it and we'll see. I may weigh in, but we'll see. I'm probably not going to weigh much in because I think you and I are pretty well aligned on this. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to play devil's advocate and probably fail, but let's see. All right. And so this might be a little unfair because I'm going to use my, what I replied in Slack, but I'm also going to add color to my replies, which Andrew is unable to at this moment. <laughs> but, um, the first one was, he said it makes logical sense. And I said, well, it would also make logical sense to call a quizzer out of context for saying any one, two, three word unique phrase, but we don't do that for other reasons unrelated to whether or not the rule makes logical sense. So what all I was saying is just because it makes logical sense doesn't mean it's automatically a good rule. Now, things that are logical are better than things that are illogical. So um, we probably don't disagree as much as possible on that bit. Yeah, that's true. I, I think what he might mean, and of course, here I am mind reading Andrew at a distance. So, you know, Andrew, if you're listening, I apologize for failing badly at this, but he might mean objective, right? It It is a you know the unique word uh, the the unique word rule to me griffin is actually appealing because it is so extraordinarily objective right there's just no way to disagree with it right it, 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 or some not disagree isn't the right, right right word there isn't a way to misinterpret how to apply it right the word is blue in cbqz or you know printed materials thereof uh, you can you can clearly see that it's a unique word. If the, if the quizzer doesn't say that word exactly, then they are incorrect. They have thirty seconds to give it. Like there's, it's extraordinarily objective, and I like the fact that it's extraordinarily objective uh, because you you know you're handcuffed as a as a as a quiz master, which I think is a good thing. It's just that I think you're handcuffed in an extraordinarily detrimental way. Um, detrimental to the motivation of quizzing, the, 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 the mission of quizzing. Yes. So to go on, Andrew said it provides incentive to memorize content rather than concept. And I think in a general sense, um, it is true, right? Because quizzing is a verbatim sport. And so we're not asking you trivia questions or 
give me the general theme of this passage. For the most part, we are saying, like, tell me the words in this answer for whatever type. And But what I said here is um, the only times where requiring unique words provides additional incentive upon the baseline, um, additional incentive to memorize content, is for unique words that don't have a significant meaning. Because if a unique word has a significant meaning, it should already be required by a quiz master because it is like necessary information. Um, and so the only times where requiring unique words results in additional incentive to, to memorize content is for insignificant unique words. Going on, Andrew said, it provides a clear way for the quiz master to determine correct answers. And my response was, so this is the one potential win, but it's only a potential win for keeping bad quiz masters consistent with the good ones. So the only times that this rule has caused me to rule in a way I wouldn't have before are times where I don't want to rule this way because now I'm requiring the quizzer to tell me an insignificant word. If I deem the word to be significant, I'm already requiring it. So um, it is clear for me, but the only times it's changing my ruling is when I don't want to change it because <laughs> I think it's not it's not beneficial to the quizzers. Um, now, in the universe of quiz masters, from good to bad, inexperienced to experienced, what have you, um, this is a 100% objective thing, right? And so um, if your desire is solely to get more consistency among quiz master rulings, adding an objectivity like this will achieve that goal, right? I just think that the downsides of requiring insignificant unique words is a larger downside than the pro of increased consistency between Quizmaster rulings. Right. And to jump in here, I would like to point out that we already require insignificant unique words and, in fact, insignificant non-unique words to be exactly correct in, in certain cases for certain question types, right? That's what quotes and finishes are all about, right? Um, so we have the opportunity for the quizzers who invest more time, more effort and m more review to be able to differentiate themselves. We have those opportunities existing in the form of quotes and finishes and so forth. But so, but so you have to kind of take those folks and put them off to the side and then, and then say, well, let's, let's focus on rookie quizzers. Uh, maybe, you know, consolation level quizzers, that kind of thing. I don't want to use the word class, but a, a certain tier of quizzer that doesn't, let's say, have as much time as somebody else to invest in memorizing, or they may have, you know, time, but it's much more difficult for them to memorize than somebody else. You still want to give them as much incentive to memorize as much as they can as possible. And they may not be able to get to a point where they can memorize a lot of quotes and finishes uh, terribly effectively or or memorize enough verses to be able uh, to to a significant detail level to be able to tackle quotes and finishes. But they can absolutely tackle interrogatives. Right. So they memorize to that level. They're working towards that and they're motivated. And then they get into a quiz meet and everything is going great question after question after question. And then they just happen to hit a situation where they say a unique word without a trailing S on the end. And it doesn't really change the meaning of the verse at all, but because there's an S in the unique word and not in the word that they've said, I have to count them incorrect. That's deeply demotivating. Right. Um, let's see. I'm wanting to get in some of Andrew's responses. 
So he did say, I, I think I've seen enough quizzing to know that a bad quiz master can have a sizable impact on the outcome of a quiz, which can have a decent impact on the whole meet. Having hard and fast rules applied consistently is no small help in that regard, right? And that, that is... And he's, he's absolutely true. That's exactly, very true. Exactly. And um, going back to when I said the only times where it provides an additional incentive are for insignificant words... Um, and he said, but this is precisely my point. A good quizzer should be memorizing every verse with the same dedication. Unique words play a role in keeping the quizzer engaged with every verse. Those insignificant unique words are still significant in that they set a verse apart from any similar one elsewhere in the material. And I think that those are true statements, but I I, I don't think they're important. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a great way to say it. I, I agree he's not saying anything incorrect, but the implications just don't exist for me. Right, because I think, like, yeah, yeah, you've summed it up. So going on, um, Andrew initially said, it makes sure that no important idea is left out of a correct answer due to a quiz master calling correct prematurely. And so I said, every unique word is not an important idea. And if a quiz master is calling a quizzer correct prematurely by not requiring a unique word with, signi with a significant meaning, that's a much bigger problem. Because to me, if a quiz master is doing that, um, like, they should not need this rule to cure that. Um, let's see. Well, and it's a problem. It'll still be a problem even if we keep the rule. Right, but it's objectively defensible. Or, sure. Um, right, which is, I think, a, a big difference. Sure. Um, another thing Andrew said is it's a core part of the interrogative quitters, quizzer's toolkit to make sure they know the unique words in the verses they memorize. And my response is, I think the importance of unique words gets overblown. I think they get pushed up in importance because it's easy to like have a finite list of unique words. And if you hear them, they should be gimmies, right? If you jump on an interrogative question and you get a unique word in what you jumped on, you should get it right. But when I dug into unique word lists, um, I'm just throwing this this fraction out there. I said easily one third of unique words are not occurring in the first two, word, two words of a question. Um, and I don't know if it was one third, if it was like 45%, if it was 20%, but it was like a large amount are like, you're never jumping on them. And so um, to me, I didn't need to know those unique words better than the rest because I was never jumping on them. I would rather memorize two word unique phrases that are likely to be at the beginning of a question than unique words that aren't. Um, and, and so because of that, either I was going to write what I deemed to be a, co a complete list of interrogative questions and then look at the starts of all of them, or I was just going to memorize the material, try to memorize the material so well that if I heard something unique, I would be able to recall it. And so because of that, like I only used unique words to test my knowledge of the material, but I didn't. I didn't use them as a proxy of how well I would do in interrogative questions because I specifically knew every unique word. Did I state that in a way that makes sense? Yeah, I think it makes sense. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. Oh, I skipped over something that Andrew replied. He said, knowing unique words allows a quizzer to have certain navigational markers in their head when recalling material. It means you can have more confidence quoting a verse by checking that um, you know those words in their place. And it's an invaluable tool for memories, memorization, review, quoting, and general attention. Again, I think all of these, those things are true, but that doesn't make me want to require insignificant material in, in an interrogative question. 
Yeah, totally agreed. I, I think he's absolutely right. In fact, I would encourage my quizzers when I was coaching, I would encourage them to snap their fingers on each unique word as they were quoting material because it's sort of, it's, it, it's kind of sets this kind of rhythm and it's a sort of a mental placeholder as you're quoting the verse. And I think that's, that's all, you know, useful. And, and I think Andrew's absolutely right in what he's saying, but I just don't think it follows that therefore the unique words need to be required in the answer. Right. I think like if you are jumping, like wanting to jump on interrogative questions, especially, especially at the internationals level, then any one or two word unique phrase that is likely to be, to be at the beginning of a question, you got to know it. Right. And so whether or not, you know, every unique word can be a decent proxy of would I get those right. But that's a different conversation than should we require every unique word to be correct? Um, Because I I could probably come up with a list of other things from a study perspective that are important that you know, but that we don't or don't want to test from a question writing and competitive perspective. Um, Next bit was... And it's an e- from Andrew, and it's an easy challenge when a quiz master gets it wrong, which allows for even inexperienced quizzers to practice challenging. And I said, theoretically, anything that would be an easy challenge should never be necessitated by a quiz master messing it up. Um, and then I gave some sum ups, and he said, this is probably my weakest point. I'll concede that. Um, but then he said, I don't think there's a good reason to remove this rule. I don't see a need to make quizzing both easier on paper and more difficult to understand in practice. Um, which I think, again, those are valid points. I don't think requiring unique words is the right way to do those things, to meet those goals specifically. Um, so I think it's a line to be, it's a tough balance because you can probably tell from my comments on the podcast that I don't think questions should be artificially easy, but at the same time, I don't know that they should be artificially hard, right? I think there might be a place for quote these three, quote these four, or situation question with five questions asked about it. But I don't have a like a burning desire for those. Um, and so I don't think that requiring unique words is like making questions overall slightly more difficult and thus a step in the right direction. Um, I think it's kind of, it's almost a hack to get more consistency in rulings, but there's going to be a good handful of times where we do things that we don't want to, to a quizzer by requiring an insignificant word. So there's just, there's some stuff on both sides. Right. I think the motivation behind the application of the unique word rule was a good motivation, right? Um, the idea of we want, you know, quiz masters to be more consistent. We, we want more objectivity in rulings and those are, those are two things that I can very much get behind. Like actually, and I'd, I'd go even to a third thing, which is related to the second thing. We want objectivity in rulings. We want objectivity in the rules, right? And all three of those things are very good things that I am very much behind and very much support, right? Um, I want better quiz masters. I want objective rules because I want objective rulings. And, and all of those things kind of you know play together really nicely. The problem is while this rule is, yes, very objective, uh, and while the rule can be uh, objectively applied, and if it's not, it can be challenged very objectively. And, you know, it does, maybe it makes some bad quiz masters a little bit better. I think it actually doesn't solve the actual problem, right? Like, because it really at the root of the problem here are, you know, poor quiz masters. And ultimately, this rule makes those poor quiz masters 
very slightly less poor, but very slightly in kind of a really arbitrary, weird way. And they're still bad quiz masters, right? Because ultimately, what what is... Ultimately, at the end of the day, what are the things that make a good quiz master, right? They need to have a conversational uh, speed, something that you can uh, estimate or, or you can predict as a quiz master. They need to articulate effectively. They need to read the question non-emotionally. They need to be able to rule fairly, as fairly as, as, as can be uh, done. All of those things need to, that, 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 those things need to be, right, in a quiz master. And this rule doesn't make those things happen. But more than that, this rule, um, the biggest, the biggest ruling factor of a quiz master is, is still going to be, does the, is the answer provided correct or incorrect? Sorry, let me rephrase. Let me start over. Um, for interrogatives, ultimately a quizzer is going to be wrong if they provide the wrong answer. And that must be the case. We can never change away from that case because otherwise quizzers will just start guessing uh, and it's a very bad universe to be in right so if a quizzer provides you an incorrect answer they must be counted incorrect that cannot be mitigated by the unique word rule or any other kind of similar rule it requires a quiz master to interpret uh, the meaning behind the answer and we're never going to get get rid of that. We never can get rid of that. So if a quiz master is going to be incrementally improved by the application of the unique word rule, they shouldn't actually be a quiz master at all because it means they're going to fail in the 90% case of counting somebody not wrong when they should be wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And um, that's why... Like I think I don't think that unique words should be required, but this is why I place so much importance on challenging, um, both on quiz masters being very receptive to challenges, but also on all quizzers being on the lookout for an opportunity to challenge, even for someone else to be counted correct, because I think that they are critical mechanisms to a fair quiz, because we want to like. We don't want a quizzer to be able to say an incorrect thing and not be incorrect. And we want a quizzer to say anything that's important to be counted correct. But there is some subjectivity in that. And like even the best quiz master is not going to get that right 100% of the time. And so if you, if you foster a culture where all of your officials are open to challenge and everyone is expecting to have to challenge, then I think you get the, the like ideal without these sorts of hacks. Right, indeed, indeed. And I think that that's a lot of fun too, right? Like there are tons of times where I'm like, oh, did a quizzer give me enough to be correct? They had a lot of the ideas um, and they had some of the important words, but maybe not all of them. And I just have to make what I think is my best decision. But I'm often hoping that I get a challenge so that we have a conversation about it. And the conversation is not about whether or not my ruling was right or wrong. It's whatever, what do we think is the correct ruling here? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and of course, this kind of leads us into a really awesome topic that unfortunately we're going to have to save for another podcast. But the it sort of begs the question, should we make rules solely to prevent bad quiz masters from doing bad things? And, you know, spoiler alert, I, I think Scott and I, are generally of the opinion that no, we should not make rules solely to prevent bad QMs from doing bad things, but we should explore why. And then we should probably explore, well, how do we get 
bad quiz masters to not be bad quiz masters. Um, and for that matter, let's let's expand that. How do we get bad answer judges to stop being bad answer judges? And of course, we should define what that means. What is a bad quiz master? What is a bad answer judge, right? Um, there's some overlap, but I think the circle of bad quiz mastery is a little bit bigger um, or than, a, than bad answer judging judgery or maybe another way to say it i think there is more opportunities for a quiz master to be bad than an answer judge to be bad uh and the entire scope of what a an answer judge can be bad at a quiz master could also be bad at so maybe we should talk about what those things are and how to correct those things uh and then play you know devil's advocate to say well what kind of rules could we do to reduce badness uh, in officials it, it, after we've defined what badness actually is. But unfortunately, we're going to have to tackle that and other questions in a future podcast. So I want to remind everybody, of course, if you disagreed with anything that Scott or I said during this or any podcast or any Slack channel conversation or any other locale or whatever it, the case may be, we would like to hear from you. Please email us at iq at cbqz.org. You can and should follow us on Twitter. Our account is at Inside Quizzing. And if you are not involved in the Slack channel uh, Inside Quizzing on the uh, Bible Quizzing Slack forum, you should be because there's a lot of really cool, smart people there and they have some really brilliant ideas and we discuss and debate topics on and off throughout the week. And it's a really cool place to hang out and chat about a bunch of different things. So uh, participate in that. And, uh, you know, Scott and I will traditionally drop in there, although I've been kind of terrible the last few days. Um, generally, we will drop in and uh, engage in real-time conversations uh, as time permits. So with all that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. And thank you, Scott. And I think it would also be useful for us to talk about, like, what do we think is the scope of a problem involving bad officiating? Because I think when you are the victim of what you deem to be bad officiating, the problem seems very, very large and important. But it may be useful for us to try to talk about, like, what do, like, how much of a problem is it? Um, and what are the impacts when there is bad officiating? But then also, should, sh like, what should be the requirement to be a good official, right? Like, if the requirement is 50 hours of studying the rule book and 150 hours of experience, well, then maybe the bar is too high. Um, and I think that those will also be useful conversations around officiating. Yeah, indeed. How do we qualify, you know, officials to be officials? Right. Because if we say like, oh, among the universe of current officials, we think that 3% are good and the rest are bad. Well, then there's probably a different problem. <laughs> um, right. So anyway, but thank you everyone for listening. Now.